Hello and welcome to Unparliamentary Language, a political podcast whose cabinet is just as sturdy as Theresa May's. I know because I built it earlier today, <laughs> having just moved house. Um, and how are you, Rob? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I, I'm very good too. I'm very good too. Um, just moved house, as I've mentioned to you uh, before the show started up. Um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I've somehow managed to cobble together a recording studio. Uh, I'm ready to talk Brexit. How about you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very ready. Um, so ready, in fact, I have proposed that we forego headline quickfire because essentially all headlines for the past two weeks have been about this Brexit deal. Do you think that's fair yeah, to say? Yeah, I mean, I think if you aren't aware what's going on, that I mean, we'll be discussing, we'll be talking about things that have happened, maybe a bit of a timeline, some opinions, our thoughts on the matter at the very least. But if you haven't heard any of this in the last two weeks, I don't know what rock you're hiding under. Um, maybe it'll be safe when we actually uh, crash out with no deal. So <laughs> let's, yes. There was a poll earlier in the week that was was talking about um, what do you think of Theresa May's deal that she struck up? And there was about 30% saying that they, they didn't like it, 30% were unsure, 10% saying, yeah, I don't know either way. And there was, I think it was a blissful, like 27% of people said, I haven't heard anything about it. I, I wish I was those people, you know? I, I don't know where they're getting their <laughs> news from or what they're doing, but, but their lives must just be so easy, you know, so blissful without any any knowledge of what's going on so uh yeah our aim tonight is to try and educate those 27 percent or get everybody up to speed um and talk about everything that's been going on let's move on yes let's move on into uh we'll skip the headlines entirely go barreling straight on into brexit yes so um so what's happened is um that well today uh, all 27 EU countries have signed off on a Brexit deal with the UK that outlines how it should leave the EU. I think I think that's breaking news, isn't it, Rob? That happened today. Yes, it happened this morning. Breaking news. <laughs> um, I mean, at least that's yes. We posted that out on the the Facebook page. I might not have tweeted it, but yes, that was uh, that was a, an interesting thing to have on happen on a Sunday morning. Yeah, it took like half an hour. It went relatively smoothly from the EU side. Um, so it appeals. It appears to be the deal that they want. Uh, and one thing that came out of all of the press conferences from every leader, um, it seemed to be that this is the best deal the UK will get. That was sort of, you know, this is kind of trying to draw a line under it, saying that this is it. Move on. We've done the negotiation. Now, now sign it. So uh, what I wanted to do, if that's okay, is go into the deal a little bit deeper focus on a couple of the main points and we can discuss whether we think it's a good deal or not. And um, before we just before we do, I just one thing I wondered about so in in the week leading up to yesterday when they they signed off on the deal and and, and all of that there was some talk. So, so I mean we I think most people have been like oh the EU are probably pro this because their negotiator has organized it. Um so we assume that it has the backing but when you have 27 countries voting on something that might not always be the case, and there was a fair amount of uh, back and forth about Gibraltar. Did did that just suddenly not play into it, or was that just a bit of bluster? It appeared to be a bit of bluster between the UK and Spain. Um, Spain always tends to bring up Gibraltar and you know potential sovereignty and the rights of that, and Spain have threatened not to sign the deal if there wasn't more in there about Gibraltar. It appears that the UK and Spain have got together separate to the other EU countries and said, look, we we promise to discuss this once it's been signed. Um, 
and and that appears to have been enough for Spain to say, okay, we'll sign. Oh, him. that's that's good. <laughs> because I mean, I was suddenly worried. My one of my colleagues pointed out to me. Yeah, I mean, Spain might not like this. And then the whole Gibraltar thing started kicking off. I was like, oh dear, um, this would not be great. But it's glad to see that at least uh, they can all band together and, and maybe deal with that in the future as part of whatever we get afterwards. Yeah, it appears, um, well, from, we'll, we'll talk about this more later, but it appears that the EU has been far more successful in sort of getting all the 27 EU countries whipped into shape and into line saying, you will sign this, you will agree to this rather than the UK government, which is a little more divided on the issue. Um, so at least on the EU's part, they've been able to get everything ship shape and get the house in order and be able to get everyone singing from the same hymn sheet and whatever other sort of cliche I can add in there. I think I went for three in a row, so I'm, I'm proud of myself there. Um, pick and choose and edit your, your favourite one later. Uh, so the EU is united, um, but I want to discuss the deal from sort of uh, the UK perspective and see if it well go into detail about a couple of the key issues that have been raised from the draft deal and talk about who within the government either likes it or wouldn't like it and then talk about our own our own ideas on the issue just before we start on yeah. diving into it have you read the deal it was quite no. long no it, i mean very i think that's probably worth pointing out that <laughs> we have we're <laughs> I mean, it's 585 pages, and that evening I was actually uh, busy reading a shorter but no less important document to me contract uh, for, for, for moving house. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't have time to read 585 pages, and I just waited until someone better than me, uh, people with a legal mind, went through and read it. And uh, I think most of the newspapers had a summary. I mean, obviously, that has the biases the newspapers entail, but, you know, there's only so much they can... You know, if you if you read all the different summaries that the different newspapers had, I think you'll probably get a pretty good view. Um, we will put one or two in the show notes. Um, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it's worth linking to the five hundred eighty-five pages there. I I attempted to read it, but there is an awful lot of legalese and clauses and and sub clauses, so it does benefit from somebody going through and picking out all the juicy bits, um, or at least translating some of it to tell you what it what it really means. Uh, so yeah, big disclaimer. Haven't read it uh, f- fully, but these bits that I've, the points that I've come out here, I have tried to go in and look at the raw text and see what they've got. Um, and even and even some of the points that I think were mentioned uh, before, you can do a control F in. It's a PDF control F for certain words, phrases. That's a big suggestion. If you've got something that you want to like look up, like I was looking up things like Northern Ireland and Scotland and the European Court of Justice or certain things that you know might crop up or you think have been important, that's an easy way to skim through the document or at least skip to the end, get to the good bit. So, Rob, what's it going to cost us? Uh, so um, it's been agreed that we've got a final fee. Um, it'll be £39 billion that we'll pay to leave. That figure is... A little controversial for a few reasons. Uh, one, it, people like the former Brexit Secretary David Davis and Boris Johnson initially said that we don't owe the EU a cent. We're not going to pay them anything. We're leaving. It's just like cancelling a gym contract. Um, we can just, you know, we can just leave no fees attached. Um, for others, some thought it would be considerably higher. So. Uh, that we might be paying for years and years and years. The 39 billion, although it sounds like an awful lot, uh, the UK currently pays about 10 billion a year to the EU, or at least I think we have this year. 
Um, that's what I've read. So that 39 billion covers our four years sort of into the transition period. So we think that we'll probably fully leave the EU by about 2022. Uh, sorry, no, sorry, by 2020. Yeah, by 2022. Um, so that would cover it. Uh, this has, so the fact that this ends when the transition period ends has allowed Theresa May to say that we will no longer play, pay vast sums. Um, her words, not mine. Uh, some people might dispute that, given that I think I saw a pie chart the other day that said that our spending on the EU accounts for like 0.3% of all of the UK spending as a whole. So it's not a great bit of our budget, but it is at least a little bit. But if you say 39 billion, people go, oh, that's a lot of money because, you know, most people don't have 39 billion lying behind the sofa. Yeah, precisely. Um, and I think it, it ties in again to that number on the bus that we always talk about, that 350 million to the NHS. Theresa May actually went ahead and said that this will allow us to pledge 370 million a week to the NHS, which is even more than the figure on the bus said. So... So again, that's that's her way of trying to spin it and say that this is a good deal rather than a bad deal. Uh, what, what's your opinion, first of all, on how much we pay? Do you think this is something that... I, I never thought we were going to get out of it, I suppose. is I mean, I, I didn't have... I didn't, you know, I, I don't think the amount we were paying to be part of the EU was a problem. Um, but again, I voted Remain, as, as we know and have discussed before. Um, I always expected us to pay money uh, I mean, this is the most logical solution, right? If you're going to be sticking around for about four years, you pay about four years worth of money. Um, you know, I mean, in the same way, if you stayed at your gym for four years, the gym would expect you to pay for four years of gym membership. Even if you kept saying, I'm definitely going to leave this gym. Uh, and they'll be like, yeah, well, you know, you can keep paying until you actually do. Um, <laughs> I, I've stopped bringing my towel to the gym. Uh, I've stopped. Uh, I've stopped. Uh, uh, next week, I'll stop bringing my backpack to the gym. Um <laughs> And then eventually, I'll move out my um, I move out of my locker entirely. <laughs> yeah, like you know, um, it, it's not surprising. It seems like the most logical choice to me. I, I think I think anyone who thought we were going to get away with paying nothing doesn't understand how like these kind of treaties are dra drawn up. There must always be a way for us to like. But essentially, the fact that we're cutting it as soon as we're actually out, and it's kind of an estimate, I think seems fair. Yeah, I'd agree with that, and I think it's a good. It's a good deal for the EU as well, because it allows them four years of transition for them to rebalance the budgets, you know, to get used to the idea of a Europe without UK, the UK paying it. And they need that time to adjust as well. So uh, as you sort of hinted at, I think it was the only logical solution that was left. I think paying nothing would have been yeah, out of the question. Uh, the only way we'll pay nothing is if there's a no deal. But, you know, this whole deal is designed to avoid that. Well, I mean, uh, many of our colleagues, uh, people we know, are EU nationals who live in the UK. And also, I mean, I being knowing a lot of scientists, I know a lot of people who are abroad as well, working abroad, uh, UK citizens abroad. How how's that going to work out? What 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 deal have we got on that? So I I think personally, this is one of the best parts of the deal, or, or something that will be very reassuring for those people. Uh, essentially, those rights are protected for anyone who arrives. In the UK and vice versa, from the UK, UK to the EU, um, they'll be exactly the same as they were before Brexit. Um, so you know nobody's going to get chucked out, nothing like that. Um, those rights will also extend into the into the transition period. So Theresa May initially wanted to limit this to be um, 
to limit this to citizens who are coming in before May 2019. Uh, but instead, the deal says that this will be by the end of the transition period, which could be late as 2022. Um, so that's EU citizens' rights protected. The other thing sort of like linking into EU citizens' rights and immigration is that once the deal is done and once the transition period is over, that will also end freedom of movement. Uh, so that's the right for anyone who was living in the e EU to come and live in the UK. That will be at an end. And the UK, I think Theresa May has said that she will adopt a, a, a points-based skills immigration service. This is probably a big win for Theresa May. Um, immigration was one of the big factors during the referendum. Uh, and the EU had often said that you know, they see freedom of movement as one of their four freedoms, one of the things that, you know, you can't have freedom of movement and not be in the customs union. Theresa May has been able to negotiate a deal that seems to, you know, have an element of trade and not free movement, um, more like the deal that Canada or Norway has at the moment, which are entities outside of the EU, but are still allowed to trade within it. Yeah, that's that's my opinion on citizens' rights. Um what do you think? Do you think this is a good deal or or bad deal for the UK? I mean, I think I think the fact that we've got the back and forth. I mean, if fundamentally saying the same is great. We don't want it jumping off some kind of cliff edge as soon as we leave would would have been awful for various reasons. You know, not quite the same as building a wall down the centre of Berlin, but that kind of level of you know it could split families apart, things like that. And I think that's the thing I've always been worried about with this. Um, I think that again, it's like the most sensible solution, like. It stays the same up until the point that it doesn't, which is when you've actually fully left. I can understand why this would annoy people who voted on the immigration issue specifically. It wouldn't surprise me. Like, I mean, and also, you know, May had to to backpedal here a bit from the May twenty nineteen kind of promise she wanted. But it's better than us suddenly throwing everyone out in the cold. Obviously, I was a fan of freedom of movement as well, so I'm. It's sad that it's going to end, um, but hopefully. We'll be able to get something in place um, that's not, you know, having a bit more time. Again, a lot of this is giving us time to think about things which we haven't haven't had in the last two years. I mean, we've had two years, but you know, some of these things are very complex. So I think I think in general, my overview of this deal is it gets us out of the bind of no deal and isn't the worst. Um, as someone who wanted to stay, obviously, if someone I could click my fingers and we just stayed, that would be amazing. But it seems like we're going ahead with this, so. In in that context, it's it's not the worst. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. It's certainly it, it's not hard Brexity at all. This yeah. part is quite soft. Again, as I mentioned previously, the, the end of freedom of movement will be, I think, seen as a big win for some people who voted leave. But but the time frame is the real clincher for the the hardest Brexiteers. Uh, mm. I guess we'll see in time. If I mean, if this deal is. Getting, you know, stopping freedom of movement is probably the biggest win for May uh, and will likely persuade quite a few people who were softer Brexiteers but wanted some controls on immigration as their biggest thing. That that, that will convince them. Um, but the timeline um, and the fact that it's maybe not as hard as it could be will upset the hardest Brexiteers. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. And it might depend on how long the transition goes on. That might actually be the de deciding factor to see if that's a success or failure for me. So yeah, I suppose moving on from citizens' rights and uh, immigration, uh, we've got border issues. We've discussed Northern Ireland's border before. Um, what, what's the plan there? And is it just magic technology? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was 
that you say magic technology like it's like oh that's kind that's kind of what the plan is don't tell anybody about it <laughs> so we've always said that it's like the hardest thing the hardest decision to make and Theresa may herself just before this deal came to fruition said that the deal's 95 percent done we just got to sort out this this last bit which is the whole of the northern island border which which i would argue <laughs> quite a like, big bit not just five percent yeah quite big um so both sides have sort of decided qu- quite a big fudge on this in my point of view um They've talked to each other, and essentially, the UK has gone to the EU. We don't want a hard border. The EU said, yes, we don't want a hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland either. Brilliant. How are we going to do it? Uh, so the UK says, well, magic technology will help us. This was the ideas that we'd done before. Um, maybe to elaborate on that slightly, the fact that um, the technology will be so advanced that we'll be able to process goods quickly over this border without the need for having a, a wall built or any, you know, ma- massive customs control. I mean, there. when we say magic technology, like the problem is the technology we need right now doesn't exist in in a cheap enough form. I mean, I I I, I could spitball some ideas, you know, off the top of my head, like you could do things like with RFIDs and or you know and fancy X-ray scanners. Uh, or, or you know, millimeter wave scanners. Like there are ideas like that. That, but you know, it's when it comes down to this stuff, it needs to be safe and secure, right? That's that's the issue. It's like any, I think anyone could come up with a number of ideas that might work, but we need it to have been tested and proven um, before people will accept it as a thing on the border. Yeah, precisely. So what what the EU's done is is they've listened to the UK and gone, yeah, okay, technology that sounds great. Um, so what we'll do is we'll try and have a trade agreement that builds in this technology um, up until 2020. However, if we haven't come up with a solution by 2020, we will enforce this thing called the backstop. And the backstop's probably the thing that you may have heard about most during this Brexit deal, and it's the thing that's got everybody most upset. Yeah, I know that. I know that Boris Johnson's very anti it. Um which means I should probably be for it, right? <laughs> if any of his previous decision-making is something to go off. Well, yes, certainly, if you're from a, like, a Remain perspective. I mean, outside of that, I mean, they just scrapped his... Uh, I don't know if you saw the other day, they finally scrapped those water cannons he bought for £300,000 that were not allowed to be used. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not sure his decision-making has always been the best, or ever been the best, really. But... <laughs> no, certainly. Um, so, yeah, so so what the backstop does is it says, instead of having a hard border, Northern Ireland will just remain in the customs union with the EU. So the customs union means that they'd avoid tariffs on goods from the EU. Essentially, it would be the status quo. It would be like Northern Ireland was still in the European Union. And as a knock-on from that, the UK would also have to be in practically the same customs union. It would be a little different and there would be there would be an, a necessity for some extra non-customs checks on some types of goods passing between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Uh, so this upsets hard Brexiteers for, you know, the, the main reason is that it means it's this big, it says if you don't sort Northern Ireland out, then Brexit effectively doesn't really happen. We still stay in the customs union. We still have to abide by all the EU's laws that they put down over trade because we're in this customs union 
Uh, if we're in a customs union, then that stops us having the ability to do free trade with other countries, which was one of the big selling points that Brexiteers said that, you know, this will make us richer because we're able to do massive free trade deals with China and Canada and the USA. It stops all of that. So that's why hard Brexiteers hate it. Um, the other people who hate it is the DUP um, or the partners in Theresa May's government, because what the DUP have always said right from the start is that they do not want special treatment for Northern Ireland. They do not want Northern Ireland to be treated any differently than the rest of the country. And this deal throws that out the window. They, they say specifically that you know there will be extra non-customs checks between goods coming from Northern Ireland into the rest of the UK. And the DUP would see that as threatening the, the union between Northern Ireland and the UK and might bring them closer to a possible uh, sort of getting closer towards Irish rule, or at least, you know, a reunification of Ireland, potentially. That's one of the biggest things in the deal. What's your opinion on this idea of a backstop? Again, it's very logical, right? That We were fortunate enough to not have to live through the troubles. Um, and I have heard stories uh, from my parents who lived in London during some of that time, you know, I mean, maybe they were overly paranoid, but like checking under their cars and things like that, because of, of what was going on. And None of us want to return to that. None of us want the Good Friday Agreement to go away. Um, so, with all of that in mind, I think the best thing is something like the back. You know, again, it's it's a logical choice. You've got this amount of time to fix things. If you don't, you're going to have to stay on our current rules because they don't mess everything up. So, one thing I'm not clear on: the backstop. If we fall into it, presumably we can get out of it by fulfilling the requirements we we wanted to fulfil in the first place. Yes, I believe so. As long as we as long as we solve the Northern Ireland question, I believe we can get out of it. So presumably, I mean, like, you know, if we went into the backstop for a month, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, it does, it would delay Brexit by that period of time. And I understand why people who are hard Brexiteers or really want Brexit would be annoyed by that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a difficult situation. And this allows us to not screw everything up. And I think a lot, as I said earlier, a lot of this deal is that it's like sensible choices that leave us in a position where we're not completely ruined and and vice versa you know it means the eu obviously it means the eu is still in a good position if we kind of just stay in the eu for a bit yeah i mean seems sensible to me to have a backup plan yeah the one the one hard brexit argument i would say against you is that it's fine if we overrun it by a month but the this is a legal text we're signing up to and this legal text the exact wording in it is the backstop will last until 20xx. Oh, yes, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So so feasibly for Brexiteers, in the worst case scenario, we could be forced to still be in the EU in 80 years time, in two generations time. You know, like it's just that's such a long way from the original vote um, that, that, yeah, they fear a lot could have changed in that time. And, you know, having to wait that long for a true Brexit or whatever they wanted um, is something they feel they can't accept. So that's why that's why most hard Brexiteers are going against it with sort of the, the ferocity and the furor that they are, because it leaves open the door for 80 more years of the European Union. So, so moving on from that, um, financial freedom, how, how are we going to be affected uh, if we come into this uh, backstop? Is, is, have we touched on that? So we've touched on this briefly. The point of hard Brexiteers was that by leaving the EU, we would have ultimate financial freedom. We'd be able to deal with whomever we wanted. So I'm just going to recap what you said because you went 
I, I don't know how well that's recorded. Essentially, if the backstop comes into play, we can't go after this Singapore-type uh, model. We are stuck in the EU, essentially, in, in everything but name. We, we, we'd be following all the rules, but we wouldn't have our vote, um, which I suppose is something we've, we've touched on previously as well, something that I was always worried about, the fact that we, we had a lot of voting power and a veto in the EU, um, and we've lost that. And there's definitely going to be a period where we are under EU rules without any power to change them. Although in general, I think I agree with the rules we're under, you know, most of them. So I think in general, that's probably a good thing um, for us. But yes. Yeah, no, I'd, I I think it's a good thing. Well, I'd, I'd rather we didn't become this sort of like Singapore. It would be quite a drastic change. And it's one of those things that, that Labour has tried to, when Labour has said they want jobs first Brexit, they always say that they would protect workers' rights. This dream of a Singapore-style economy is very right-wing. Um, and definitely more hard Brexit than any others. So again, this part of this softens it, I feel. Um, I think it's sensible to have those things in place, um, like we've made others. It will make hard Brexiteers angry. Feasibly, what could happen is the backstop is enacted, then the UK to abide by these EU rules, but the UK ignore them. They say, no, we really need the trade. We really need to boost our economy. So they start slashing environmental costs, something like that. If that happens, then the UK is still of the European Court of Justice. They can go and say, AA, you're not abiding by the terms of the deal that we agreed. You better start following this or we, we're within our rights to up a no deal scenario. That really annoys the key pillar of their argument for why we should leave. You know, the, the whole point of taking back control was to make sure that we had full control over our law. And this text, you know, this this clause completely undermines that. Hmm. I personally think the European Court of Justice for us has been a good thing, uh, maybe because the way they've used their powers have been to protect human rights. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would agree that the, the, the European Court of Justice has, yeah, as you say, it's defended human rights. And I think I have concerns... Uh, um, I know, I know there have been some discussions about, you know, oh, this, you know, that we shouldn't be following this, this rule or that. And I, I'm worried that we might at some point say, oh, we're not going to agree with this definition of human rights or whatever, which, which I don't think would be a good idea. Um, and also I think there's a concern. Yeah. So I think there's also been some concerns with this whole UN that, you know, the UN saying our, our benefit system and stuff is not up to scratch. Um, and I think having a, th- I mean, that's still happened under the ECJ's watch, right? But there's someone you can appeal to when you have problems like this and not having that i think is probably is is worse for the country in general yeah i'd, I'd agree on that as well so those are the main point it's not 585 pages worth uh consider do you think overall that this is a or a bad one i, I knew you were always going to ask me this question is it is it a good deal or a bad <laughs> deal it, it's like it's it's not the perfect deal but i think the nature of compromise is that no one's left happy. Uh, the you know, I'm not going to be happy with leaving the EU because I voted to stay in and I still would. Um, but given the situation we're in, I much prefer this to the idea of a no deal. Um, and yeah, it's it's obviously I'm happy with the fact that essentially it would leave us in essentially in the EU for a period of time, which while we sort things out, I think is a good idea. I don't think we should have initialized. Um, I don't think we should have initiated Article 50 um, straight away uh, like we did. I, I think we needed more time to plan through all of this. And that's always been the issue. So something 
a, a plan like this that basically means not much will change until such a time as we have actually properly left is probably the best deal overall that we could get at this stage. And the fact that the EU are pro it and it's it's not the no deal, um, I think for me is important. I'm worried that now there's going to be so much bluster and stupidity going on that we'll get forced into a no deal that will be a lot worse than this, as we've mentioned before. Yeah, no, I think I agree with you entirely there. Certainly better than a no deal that may have happened. What strikes me is how soft it is relatively that essentially leaves us in the EU in a lot of ways. Again, this comes back to problems we've mentioned before about having such a black and white question without any summary of what that might actually mean. That there's, There is a very wide spectrum of people who could have voted for Brexit. And we've seen that come out in, in, in since the vote, that there are people who thought, oh, it meant this, it meant that. But no one knows how many people thought it meant which thing. And so everyone's going to be unhappy, pretty much. Yeah, I think Theresa May said herself, it's this deal, no deal, or deal. And I still think if I had a choice of those three, I would choose no Brexit at all. Uh, I would want this deal and no deal. I choose this deal. And I think this is the gamble that, that May has taken to try and get it past Parliament. Uh, so, so we've given our kind of summary of how we feel about the deal. How, how, how has the country reacted, I suppose, in a more general question, and more specifically, Parliament and Cabinet, what happened after this was all announced? It's been pretty interesting uh, reading um, as far as following politics goes. It's been pretty crazy, especially the day it was announced itself. Um, do you want to kind of summarise that for us? Yeah, so the day it was announced, there was a lot of speculation about how the cabinet would react. The cabinet came out and accepted this deal. And then the day after, um, three key ministers resigned. Uh, so things, the first to go was Salish Vara, who's the Minister of State for Northern Ireland. Essentially, he resigned over this backstop. The second person to resign was the Brexit secretary. He's the second Brexit secretary to go after agreement, which is very similar to this deal, was put through. And I think this really highlighted the nature of this Brexit position. It's been awarded to hard Brexiteers who apparently have the job to negotiate this deal, both of which have had to resign because they don't like the deal they negotiated in the first place. And I think there was some quote about how Dominic Raab basically, <laughs> when he was seeing over there talking to the EU, they were kind of funneling stuff around him and talking to other other people within his team because he was difficult to deal with, essentially. And I think I agree that it's, this deal is clearly not a hard Brexit, which m makes that secretary position pointless. And the person who it's, can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I, I know it's just, it's an ally of May. It's now a completely sort of nothing position. Nobody really cares about it anymore. The other person to go was Esther McVeigh, who was a pensions secretary. Uh, she'd been a bit controversial anyway over her handling of the way that work credits had, had gone out. With those figures gone, everybody was saying, oh my goodness, we just need a few more Brexiteers in the cabinet resign, then this is it for May. It looked like it was a house of cards about to collapse. Um, hmm. There's a reason that show is called House of Cards, uh, I would say. Um, but yeah, it, it looked like it was a house of cards about to collapse. Um, and we also had, at the same time, we had a very, I mean, it was a very weird press conference from your MP, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, MP for the 18th century, uh, standing there being like, "Oh, we're definitely going to get these letters to, to to make May resign," and uh, and so that that it was an interesting. Bit. I thought we were going to have uh, this is one of the benefits of doing the show like this, where we have a, a two week view. It seemed like that day everything was going to go wrong. It was, I mean, I, I was paying attention avidly, but 
it was like, oh, this is going to get worse and worse. We're going to lose this deal. We're going to go no into a no deal. But then kind of it turned around. We we haven't yet had the, um, despite the number of kind of prominent people talking about it or seemingly prominent people talking about it, we haven't had a vote of no confidence in May. So she hasn't had, the, the hard Brexiteers haven't managed to get together um, 48 letters um, out of all the MPs. Uh, I think the number known is about 27, I think, something like that. And then, and then, the 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 cabinet the rest of the cabinet stayed there and and that includes five um brexiteers of varying degrees of brexit uh, but you know michael gove andrea lebson um the disgraced uh former secretary of defense uh, liam fox uh, uh grayling and penny ordon ordon i don't know how you pronounce her surname i wasn't sure if it was french or not yeah so those staying they're called the gang of five hope to influence may from the inside this gang of five, uh, they decided that leaving uh, what they'd be an impermanization, uh, what they decided to do instead was remain within it and try and reform it from within, which is the perfect stupid metaphor for the whole Brexit campaign. Uh, I found a certain irony in that. We're left in a state now that even though the Conservatives weren't able to get a vote of no confidence in May, we've still got, I think to date, 90 MPs have said they can't vote for this deal, which is really bad news for Theresa May because her majority is so slim. And I mean, the last time we had a minority, a non-coalition minority government like that was kind of the downfall of John Major, right? That was back then. Yes. Yeah. He he lived along for as long as he could after some by-elections went against him. So it, it shows a government working on borrowed time. And I mean, the DUP made some points by by voting or not voting in certain ways uh, following that. I've got a really wish on where nobody quite has the numbers to do what they want to do to get a majority. Like May is trying to get the numbers. Is She's trying to appeal to Labour MPs who would rather take a soft Brexit over a no deal and almost use like scare tactics to say, hey, you're not going to, I'm not going to allow you a general election. I'm not going to allow you a second referendum. And once those two options are off the table, the only options are my deal or no deal. And some Labour MPs may go for that. I think the problem with that scenario is that that would almost certainly be any any Labour MP who voted for that, that would be their last action as a Labour MP. It would be that they wouldn't get re-elected next time. They'd have the whip removed, all of that kind of jazz. Uh, yeah, it would it would be bad for them and it would be bad for Labour. So. I don't see that happening either. With, with all of this, it's very precarious for everyone. Numbers not adding up. What is Theresa May doing? I mean, the import, you've mentioned a bit of it already, but she's got to get this through Parliament. The EU signed off on it. So the only barrier now is us as a country saying yes. Um, so she's been out. She's done some press conferences. What, how is she trying to get this through? What, what's her, her tactic? She's trying to sell it to the general public. She's trying to go on a big charm offensive on TV and radio, trying to sell it to the people. Um, There was a big letter published in nearly all the major newspapers today, outlining Theresa May's reason for the deal, uh, sort of saying that we should end this divisive infighting that's been happening in the country. Her deal is an opportunity for the country to unite and put this whole Brexit, you know, mess behind us we can start talking about something else once we've agreed about this agreed this deal the, the problem with this tactic is kind of twofold one may is already quite unpopular with the general public already 
I think she proved that in the 2017 election. Her personal charm was certainly less than that of Jeremy Corbyn. And her the way that she's talked about Remainers in the past, some of the language about saboteurs or you know, that stuff that was associated with May has put it in a very bad light. So I'm not quite sure if she's the right person to unite the country. Uh, secondly, if you're trying to sell a deal to the people rather than MPs, that's usually a tactic reserved for referendums. And the one thing that Theresa May has already ruled out is having a second referendum or having a referendum on her deal. She may be trying to influence constituents to try and get them to pressure MPs to vote for the deal, but that's a bit of a roundabout way. And polling in general has suggested that May's deal is certainly not popular or certainly doesn't have the amount of popular support that may force MPs to vote them along. When I talk about those numbers, I'm thinking you would need at least 50%, probably closer to 60-70% of the country backing this deal before MPs would go, whoa, okay, that's that really is popular. I better vote for this. It's it's not on that scale at all. Do we have a number for that? I've not seen one. Off, I've not seen one that I can call to mind. <laughs> Um, I think there was a YouGov poll or something similar. The one I mentioned earlier about how do you feel about May's deal versus no deal versus, you know, what have you heard about it? And it was edging on sort of 20 to 30% um, support for May. Not great. <laughs> for May's deal. No, not great at all. Um, the other thing, uh, sorry, I forgot to mention this earlier, is we've talked about her problem getting it through Parliament. There's a really good breakdown of all the voting blocks that the guardian has provided oh yeah like it's almost like a little game where you can go and you can play around with the voting blocks and see if you can pass the deal yourself that really helped me to break down all the factions see what was in place and see what task may has going for her the one i've come up that come up with that gets it passed is that if all of the wavering brexiteers for the conservatives decide to vote for the deal and all of the Labour's for a people's vote, for some reason, decide that they're not going to get a people's vote and decide that this deal is better than a no deal, then the deal, this passes, it squeaks past by 323 votes to 316. Whew, that's close. <laughs> but, but, but even that's super unlikely. And then maybe the only, they're the groups that could go either way. So to sum up briefly, we're, we're left with a, a deal that, Although the entire EU agrees on it, there is no guarantee it's going through Parliament. In fact, I, I expect it to fail. I almost certainly expect it to fail when it gets to the House of Commons. What you've got to look out for is what happens next. If it fails first time, does do we go to a general election? Do we go to a second referendum? Or does May try her luck again and says, no, this is the same deal you've really got to vote for it this time because maybe the reaction to the first deal not passing is the financial markets crash or something like that. A, a big event happens that scares enough people into thinking that it's this oh, deal shit. or no deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I feel that maybe the most likely scenario is that it doesn't pass parliament, um, but the transition period is extended. I, I hope that's what's happened. So it's extended till we have more time to sort out. A deal. Following on from what I've kind of said throughout when you've asked me what I feel about it, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we, we never had two years was never enough time to sort all this stuff out. So being able to extend it as a transition period so that we have some time to fix a few things would be good. Um, again, I 
I feel like there is a subset of of people I speak to who who want me to be kind of very like we should stay in and it's obviously if I could as I've said before if I could click my fingers and be like oh well that vote never happened remaining in the EU that'd be great but I honestly don't think it's going to happen right now and I don't see a way to it that makes sense without seriously damaging our politics more than it has been in the last few years um and so so that that would be my reason for not going down some of these ideas that people say, oh, this could happen, this could happen. I'm like, it'd be great if we could have a second referendum and and, and it goes our way, but then you're in the position of what's the point of referendums? Mm. Um, you know, it is, it is a criticism that's brought up uh, by Brexiteers. It's like, oh, you know, we'll keep voting till we get our way kind of thing. So that, that's the problem with having multiple referendums on the same topic. Um, the idea of having a people's vote on the final deal, well, I mean, again, I, I don't think there's enough... I mean, it would be a really hard vote because <laughs> I think the problem is, you know, you can't, again, the problem is you can't have a vote on a deal that doesn't exist. You can only have a vote on the deal that's on the table. And you've just said 30% of people like it, maybe. So that's not going to get through. Um, and then what happens? I mean, we're in the same position. We've just spent a lot of time having a referendum that we didn't, that, you know, it's, it's taken up time that we could have used to deal with the problem we're in. Um, and I think that's a lot of the problem. A lot of these things, I'm I'm worried about them delaying us into the point where we get into a no deal. And I do not want that. <laughs> I would much rather have some kind of deal than deal with all the problems of a no deal. Um, and I think there's a lot of... I'm worried there is an amount of politicking going on from people who have financial interests or, or other, uh, you know, like Jacob Rees-Mogg, we, we know is part of... Uh, I've forgotten the name of it now, but he, he's, you know, part of some kind of hedge fund. Um, I've read about it in private eye, but I couldn't tell you the name off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, like, yeah, pe- pe- people shorting bets based on, you know, doing shorts and stuff based on the outcome of Brexit. I, I, it worries me that there are enough people with, like, an outside interest who are going to make money off this, off, off this whatever happens, um, that is kind of delaying, delaying, delaying until we end up with a no deal just because no one can quite agree on something. And th- that's not something I'm I'm happy with, if that is what's actually going on. Not 100% sure that's 100%. You know, one or two people may have that, you know, as as their main reason. I'm not I'm not saying everyone uh, who's a Brexiteer has, has piles of cash and is trying to make money off our own misfortune. But uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on and it worries me that we just kind of get get pushed over this edge still, even though we suddenly were like, oh, we've got a deal. You know, that, that those few days of stories, it's like, oh, well, actually, maybe it's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Um, and now, two weeks later, maybe we're back to that point of, uh, are we going to get this through? Yeah, I think to slightly allay your fears a bit, or or at least leave you on a happy note, if the deal does fail, then one of the more likely scenarios is that there's a general election, um, and the government needs 25 working days before an election can be held. I'm happy to report that there are less than 25 working days for Parliament until the end of the new year. Hey! Um, so we can't have an election till 2019. Uh, so have a relaxing Christmas and New Year, everyone. Party, party, party. Exactly. But not a political party. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw I saw a tweet along those lines. Uh, I think possibly you shared it. Um earlier in the week and yes it is nice to know that we won't have to deal with that before christmas <laughs> is over i've got a lot going on a lot of places to be um seeing all the various relatives and friends that i would like to catch up with over that period so yes at least that is not something we have to worry about right now so do you want to do a, a quick polls update based on uh 
uh, based yeah. based on what's happened. So I suppose it wouldn't surprise people. My my kind of quick look at it, it wouldn't surprise people that there's been a bit of an uptick in Labour and a bit of a downtick in the Conservatives. Um, but it's still kind of doing this funny dance where Labour never quite push ahead because they haven't necessarily got a very strong uh, voice on, on what they're doing. And, and I suppose another interesting thing is while UKIP in the last two polls has kind of peaked again, um, it does look like overall the trend for you know the Lib Dems and UKIP is downwards. And so presumably um, some of those people are going into... Uh, Oh, sorry, the Greens, UKIP and Lib Dems all seem to be like losing small amounts and, and maybe that's going into Labour um, while people are, you know, shifting around their opinions and all this. But I'm not sure it's clear. What what do you think? My opinion is that looking at the, the last two polls that have put Labour in the lead were conducted on the 15th of November. So that's around about the time of the government looking like it was collapsing and failing. And when that happens, people tend to want a strong government to take its place. They don't want the uncertainty. So if the polls, it, it's, it seems people are suddenly throwing their weight behind Labour saying, well, the Conservatives had their chance. They can't govern this. I want Labour to be in control and I'd like them to have a stronger majority. So that might be why a lot of Lib, Lib Dem supporters who might have been wavering are going more towards Labour now. At least like, let's just get the Conservatives out. Let's get somebody in who can govern. And the most obvious party to do that would be the Labour Party. Uh, I think it's just a little bit too early for these polls to say. Yeah, it'd be really nice if we had a poll from maybe five days ago or or sometime last week. Um, but yeah, ten ten days uh, delay on the polls is a bit irritating here because they're not they're normally more frequent than that, right? I, I'm not wrong in thinking they look like they're roughly that there's a new poll roughly every two to five days normally, and then we've just seemed to have had a a bit of a lack of them the last few weeks. It, it's possible that the turmoil has put a little stop to the general election polling and they've gone more for different types of poll about the deal. Uh, I think, or at least fingers crossed, next time we'll have more polling, particularly on what's happened after the EU has sort of agreed to this deal and what happens in the next two weeks. Uh, we could either see a Conservative recovery if Parliament suddenly rallies around this deal uh, or we could see a even bigger swing to labor would be my prediction if it appears that this deal has no chance of passing so interesting times ahead um as always uh, i mean we always we always knew it would be with with this run up to brexit um it, it's been really nice to have something concrete to talk about yes like yeah, on that, brexit that's... it's nice to have an actual deal um and go through it side by side so yeah, the less conjecture we have, the more actual facts we have, the the, the better reporting we can have on Brexit. So, uh, yeah, I suppose I suppose that's it uh, it for for this uh, edition of the show. Um, as always, uh, we welcome your feedback uh, and discussion. Um, especially, you can uh, come and find us on Discord. You can join in, and while we're talking about it, so that's that's maybe the the best feedback we can have is people there um, criticizing things we say, giving us ideas to talk about. And um, there is always a link to the Discord server. Um, and and we put well you know we have a chat room you can come on there and chat to us you can also come in and you can listen to us recording and and give us live feedback that's probably the best thing you can do uh second to that we also another great thing obviously word of mouth helps spread the podcast but going on to apple podcasts and reviewing us or, or whatever podcast app of choice you have if there's a review function uh giving us five stars saying uh why you enjoy the podcast obviously 
helps us get out there. Uh, and that's great. And you can find us in all the usual places. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Unpal Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as Unparliamentary Language. You can find us on Reddit at forward slash r forward slash unparliamentary. And you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TTSS, where you can support all of the shows um, by Tinker Taylor's Soldier Sponge Productions. And yeah, I, I, well, I mean, it's been good talking to you, Rob. And hopefully the country doesn't explode in the next two weeks. <laughs> so I'll see you in two weeks' time. Um, and it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Bye. 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 Hello and welcome to Unparliamentary Language, a political podcast. I mean, be slightly less excited, Rob. <laughs> you know what? When we're talking about Brexit, it's really hard. Okay. <laughs> I've insert your own double entendre there. Right. Okay. <laughs> goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Bye. Oh, sorry. You broke up during. Oh, I broke up during the damn. Oh, oh all right. Okay. It got Do better. It.